Hello, hello, hello. I'm your host, Ellie Lee, and welcome to When I Grow Up, a podcast about artists in the entertainment industry that took the path less traveled and found success in doing so, though, of course, not without their share of trials and tribulations along the way. What are their stories? Who are these people? And what can we learn from them? Well, on the first episode of my podcast, we have no guest on. Why? Because today it's all about me. Yes. Yay. You'll get to know my story, all the ups and downs, and everything I went through to get to where I am now. And trust me, there's a lot to talk about. Welcome to episode one of When I Grow Up. One of my favorite things about telling uh, my journey and my story is that I think that a lot of people can relate to it. So um, let's start from when I was a child, shall we? I was born and raised in New Jersey. I didn't grow up anywhere near the entertainment industry. I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. My parents uh, owned retail stores growing up, and so that's all I knew. And so pop culture, music, entertainment really wasn't introduced to me in my Korean home, probably until I could turn on the TV by myself. And when I started watching television, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. <laughs> lot of amazing things going on here. I didn't know that this world existed. And so I remember, you know, when I was little, I was probably like, you know, eight or nine, I was in the theater watching a movie. And I remember being so moved by everything that I saw in in this film. I remember being moved by the actors. I remember just just feeling like that's what I want to do, you know. But I think for me, you know, just like this little Korean girl from New Jersey, I never ever thought in a million years acting was even in the cards for me because I felt like Hollywood was all about white people and Hollywood was never going to accept me or like me or even consider me. So I buried that dream super deep. I was just like, it's never going to happen. Don't even think about it. And uh, so I went on with my life. Let's say when I was 12 is when I really started watching Total Request Live. Now, for those of you guys who are younger than me, which I'm sure a lot of you are, TRL was this music countdown show on MTV, and it changed the game. It almost felt like the first time where us fans of all these music artists uh, got to like be close to them. You could stand outside of the TRL studios and see some of the biggest artists in the world. Like I remember I went to see NSYNC, and I remember looking at them through the window and thinking, oh my God. This is crazy. This is crazy that I'm like so close to these people that I adore so much. And watching TRL and seeing Carson Daly, the host, interview all these artists. And then later on seeing Suchin Pak, who was the first Asian American host ever on MTV, really changed uh, the way that I saw TV. It really made me start thinking like, oh. I can do this because there's somebody on the television that looks like me. I think this is plausible. And so I, that's when I really started to fall in love with TV hosting because I was so enamored by uh, uh, figures in the entertainment world. I was so uh, invested in their lives, in their careers. And I've just always been drawn to the flashing lights and the cameras and the stars, you know. And so when I was 14, I was like, oh. This is what I want to do. I want to be a TV host and I want to interview everybody and I want to be on camera and this is the dream. And so I remember going through high school. I was never academic ever, ever, ever. I was never good in school. I could never concentrate. I just always knew that I was not meant for the books and for writing reports. But, you know, like all of you, I have to go to school because it's very important, you guys. Education is super important, all right? And so throughout high school, I was pretty loud. I, you know, I, I, Went through my entire life being super quiet and timid. And I think that's, you know, just 
being raised in a Korean household, I was just really quiet and I never uh, spoke my opinions, even when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I'll never forget it. It was in my fifth grade class. I was partnered up with the most popular girl in school and she was just this really super pretty blonde girl and she was so loud and all the guys liked her. And when I was partnered up with her, I remember just shredding every single second until I sat next to her. I couldn't even speak because I was so nervous, because I was so intimidated by her, because I just didn't think that somebody like her would ever just want to even, you know, be in conversation with me. And she raised her hand up after about like 15, 20 minutes of us being math partners. And she goes, "Um, Mrs. Layton, could I have another partner? Because mine doesn't talk. And she ended up getting a new partner. And I remember how traumatized I felt, how ashamed I felt, how embarrassed, um, I was feeling because this person made me feel less than. And also I was really just doing a disservice to myself by by not, you know, really becoming or being the person that I wanted to be. So after fifth grade, I made a promise to myself, like, I'm not going to let any of these people walk all over me. Like, I'm not going to let somebody that has more friends than me or is prettier than me or whatever uh, make me feel like I am small. And so that's when my personality really started to shine and I started to change because I was like, no, I'm going to be who I am and that's it. And I just started to become really loud. And I think in high school is when I was pretty loud and I was, you know, just, you know, I would just talk a lot. And I was really good at giving class presentations because the focus was on me. I knew what I was talking about. And so Every single time that I gave a class presentation, I was always getting good grades. I was always getting compliments from my teachers and my students, and people were laughing throughout it, and I was like, yeah, this is my jam. So when I was a senior in high school, I went to a teacher of mine that I had had for history for four years. Her name was Mrs. Drowsanowski. I'll never forget. And I asked Mrs. Drowsanowski, I said, hey, you've been my teacher. You know me for the last four years of high school. Can you write my college recommendation for me? Now, for those of you guys who don't remember or are in that process, you know, college rec from a teacher in high school is like, you know, you write it to the college saying, oh, this student is amazing and excels in this and is super diligent and studies hard and all this stuff. And Ms. Drazanowski looked at me and she said, absolutely not. And I said, you're not going to write a college rec recommendation for me and she's like no she's like why would I she's like we both know that you don't study hard enough we both know you fool around too much in class and we both know you have capabilities but you don't definitely don't you know exercise them you don't see them out and I looked at her and I said true but Mrs. Drowsanowski I'm gonna be on tv and so I need you to write a recommendation to let these people know that I'm gonna be on television and the reasons why and she looks at me and she goes oh for that I'll write it for sure and so I just remember that memory distinctly because it was kind of the first time where somebody um, saw me throughout the years and kind of looked at me and said, yeah, you could do that. And I was just like, yeah, I can do that. And so I uh, because I didn't have great, you know, the best grades in the world, I didn't have like a large group of colleges to choose from. So I went to UMass Amherst for a little bit and it wasn't my school. Like I hated it there. I wanted to get out. I made some really great friends there, but I just wanted to get out. I was just like itching to get into the workforce. I was just hungry. I was ready. I was like, I just want to like be on television. Like, what am I wasting my time in this Spanish class learning these words that I'm never going to use? And so I transferred out to Fordham University and I was back uh, living with my parents and I was commuting to Fordham and uh, 
I wanted this plan because I wanted to do internships in the city. I wanted to be in media. I wanted to be surrounded by people that were on television. So I started interning at ABC. And this is about the time that I really fell in love with Korean pop culture. I'm Korean, by the way. I think that I've always had a very far distant relationship with uh, my Korean culture, my Korean people, because I grew up in America, you know, and, and yes, my parents were immigrants and from Korea, but they both came here, here at a very young age. And so, you know, I, I grew up speaking English a lot. Like my aunts and my uncles, they all grew up in Hawaii. So we spoke a lot of English in the house. And yes, I understood Korean. And yes, culturally, I, my whole family is very Korean. You know, we did all the things that, you know, Koreans do. I ate Korean food growing up. I speak I know how to write it. I know how to read it. I understand a lot of it. I'm not great conversationally, but I am pretty decently okay, even though my Korean friends will make fun of me for that. I, you guys, just you need to stop that, okay? Because I need more confidence in my Korean side. Anyways, and so when I discovered K-pop, Korean pop culture, like the TV shows and music, it was the first time that I was connected to that side of me, to that, you know, my people, to my heritage and stuff. And so I started seeking out ways that I can be part of, you know, the K-pop culture. And so there was a site, the only K-pop site that existed on the internet at that time was called Pop Soul, like SolarKorea.com. And they wrote snarky articles about K-pop music and music videos and dramas and movies. And I was like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with these people. And I uh, sent them an article that I wrote um, and they loved it. And they were like, we'd love to start training you as a writer for Pop Soul. And I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Okay, great. And so I started writing for them. And, you know, a lot of drama happened with Pop Soul. And the two girls that owned it ended up breaking up. And one of the girls uh, started this site called SoulBeats.com. And she contacted me. She was like, would you want to be a writer for this? And I was like, sure. So I started writing for SoulBeats.com. And through SoulBeats, I started to get a voice. Like people knew that I was different from the other writers because I wrote from a very like fangirl or like fan perspective. And I, I always kept it real, you know? If somebody was looking a little crazy, I'd be like, blah, 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 it's looking a little crazy today or da, 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 da. And I think people uh, liked that. And so uh, I remember when we got the news that a huge K-pop star was coming to New York and we were going to get an interview with him. And the whole team looked at me and they said, we want you to do the interview because they knew that I wanted to be on camera. And I was like so excited, but I was so nervous because I had never interviewed a celebrity before. And it was this guy from a group called Fly to the Sky. They're really old school K-pop. And his name was Brian Jew. And I had had a love affair with Brian Jew in my head for like years. You know, I just like loved his music. I loved that he was a Jersey boy like me. And he was out in Korea doing his thing. Um, and so... I remember him coming in and sitting down with me and we did this whole interview and the rush that I got from it, the adrenaline rush that I got from it or the high that I got from it, knowing that this was going really well and we were really clicking and I knew that the the interview, the video was going to be seen and people were going to love it, just got me excited on like a whole different level. And I remember finishing the interview and looking at my team and them being like, dude, that was awesome. And I was like, this is awesome. And I knew from then on, like, okay, this, this is, this solidified everything that I, you know, dream, dreamed of all these years. Like I, this is what I can do. This is what I want to do. So when I was in college and before I graduated, I got my first paying gig and I was so nervous for it because I had never auditioned before, but it was for anime news network and anime is new. It, anime News Network is the biggest anime site in the world. Well, at the time it was. And I didn't know anything about anime, but it was for news reporters, for on camera. And I was like, okay, breathe. You got this. 
And I went in there and I did the audition and I walked out and two days later I got the job. And that was the first time that somebody was paying me to talk on camera. And it was just so exciting and so crazy to me. And I got to, you know, do some cool things there. And I learned a lot about anime. And then the show got canceled and I graduated from college and I was on my own. When I graduated college, I graduated in 2009, and that's when the economy crashed. Oh, great. There goes the economy. There were no jobs. Uh, people were in frantic. Just It was chaos, just complete chaos. And um, I was jobless for two years trying to figure out my life. I got super depressed, and I just couldn't understand what my path was. And so finally, after two years, I got a job at this really small, small marketing firm, and it was a nine to five job. I was at this company for a year and I was slowly dying. And, and during this time is when I fell really in love with acting. When I was a host, I got to a point where I realized I was interviewing all these artists and I was interviewing all these people about their art. And I always felt like I was artistic. I always felt like there was so much that I could provide and, and give to the world and entertain and all this stuff. And I realized I was interviewing all these people about their art. And I was like, well, what about my art? What about my artistic side? What about what things that I want to create? And so when I was at this marketing job, I dug up that like little, you know, little Ellie when I was like eight or nine that put away the dreams of wanting to be an actor. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this out. I'm going to go take a class and I'm going to go see if this is for me. And so that's when my acting journey started. And I started taking all these classes in New York, like all by myself. I would take all these classes at night. I would go all these like free readings and all these things all by myself just because I was so hungry to learn about acting and what it was and what what did actors do and like how did you audition and da 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 da. And um, as I was falling in love with acting and I was, as I was going out and auditioning and doing all these things, um, I booked a play. And it was a super small play in Times Square. And I was like, this is the dream. This is the dream. I made the decision that night that I was going to quit my job. I've always been a dreamer since I was young. I did, never thought that I was actually going to like uh, 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 get rid of stability in my life and go for something that is so unstable. But I knew that when I booked that thing, listen, they were paying me a stipend of $200, okay? It was like a six-week run or whatever, but they weren't paying me anything. But I was like, I don't care. I was like, I don't care. This is it. And I went to my boss's office and I sat down with him. And I said, I am going to go pursue acting and I don't want you to feel like I don't appreciate everything that you've done for me here, but I think it's time that I'm just going to go. I booked this play and I just feel like it's my calling and I'm, I'm going to go see if, you know, this is for me. And uh, my boss looked at me and he waited a little while and then he looks back up at me and he goes, and uh, my boss looked at me and he waited a little while and then he looks back up at me and he goes, can I be honest with you? And I said, of course. And he said, I know the business very well. I used to work in the business very heavily. He's like, the only way you're going to make it to the top is if you sleep with various different men and get your way to the top. And I looked at him and I was shocked. I was taken back and I was like, wow, that's not that totally that. No, that, I didn't think that was going to come out of your mouth. And I looked at him and I said, okay, um, all right. I uh, don't think that I'm going to do that. But thanks for the advice, question mark. And he looked at me and he said, no, seriously. He's like, you're going to have to sleep your way to the top. He's like, I've seen it happen so many times. And he's like, and when you do that, that's when you'll have the chance, you know, to maybe make it. And I said, all right. 
I'm still going to quit this job. I'm still going to go after my dreams. So thank you for the opportunity and thank you for everything you've done for me. But I'm going to go now. And I gave my two weeks, packed up my bags, and I left. I sat in my apartment and I remember feeling so free. I was like, oh my God, I'm free. I'm free from having to write another stupid email about something I don't care about. I'm free from all these client meetings and acting fake. I'm free from uh, the reins of having to be here at a certain time and doing things that I just hated. I was like, I'm free. And I sat in my living room. It was the first apartment in New York City. I lived on the Upper East Side with my friend. I sat in my kitchen. I said, now what? What am I going to do? And I looked at my bank account and I had $1,000 and I had promised my dad when I moved out of the house that I would never ask him for a single penny. I was like, I'm going to show you that I can do this without asking you for any money. And he was like, uh-huh. And so when I saw the $1,000 in my bank account, I said, okay, what do most uh, wannabe actors do when they need to make some money? I was like, okay, they work in a lot of restaurants and stuff. And I was like, oh my God, I have no patience. I've never worked in a restaurant before. I'm not good with like quick chaos like that. I'm not good like on my feet. You know, I probably would get mad at customers. Like it just is not my thing. So I said, okay, what do I love? What do I love? What do I love? I was like, oh, I love dogs. I've been in, I'm, I was an animal rescuer in high school and I'm still an animal rescuer to this day. So like what? 10 plus years, I've been rescuing dogs, fostering them and placing them into homes. So I was like, oh my God, I love dogs. I'm going to be a dog walker. I was like, hells yeah. Okay. So I was like, okay, where are them dogs at? <laughs> where are the dogs at that need to be walked? And I started researching online and I started applying on Craigslist for anybody that needed a dog walker. And I remember getting an email from this family on the Upper West Side. Now, if you guys don't know New York City, the Upper West Side um, is where all the rich people live. It's a beautiful neighborhood. It's quiet. It's a lot of families there. Um, and he emailed me and he was like, let's meet in person. Um, I just want to see if you're good for my dog. And I was like, okay. So I met, uh, the husband in person. Then I met the wife in person. And then they emailed me. They're like, we think you're perfect. We'd love for you to start on Monday. I was like, okay, great. He was by far to this day, the richest dog that I've ever walked. They're, the parents were so wealthy. They owned like an $11 million amazing apartment in, in New York. And every time I would go pick up this dog, I'd just like look at the apartment and be like, damn, it's nice. It's real nice. And I got paid really good money to walk this beautiful dog every day, you know, in Central Park. And so thus started my dog walking journey. I literally for so long walked dogs on my own and I talked to myself all day that when my roommate and one of my really good friends Jen would come home I'd be like hey how's your day what you do and did you talk to a lot of people what you do today did you go to this and that was my life for about a year and a half like I was dog walking I was auditioning I was booking things for sure like I booked a commercial I was doing little uh, 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 industrial things I was getting paid but I was also super frugal. I never spent $1. I never, during those, during my first years of just grinding to the pavement, I never even spent a dollar on like a, a cup of tea. Like I was just saving, saving because I was so scared that I was going to get broke. And I just didn't want to be like a broke loser who just like wasn't smart with their money. A small company called MTV Korea. So back in the day, like even a few years back, MTV used to have all these like sub MTV. So they would have like MTV World, MTV Iggy, and they had MTV Korea, MTV K. And it was stationed in New York City downtown. And, uh, you know, they would have K-pop groups in there and all these things. And they had seen some of my YouTube videos. They contacted me. They're like, we would love to uh, have you host our new K-pop music countdown show called Top 10 Countdown. And I said, okay, where do I sign up? And so that was the 
that was uh, after anime, my second paying job. It was the first time that I got makeup and hair done. It was the first time I had a stylist. It was crazy. And it was, a, it, you know, I had a live audience all the time. G-Dragon's Meet Your Girl makes another appearance on our countdown this week. And number six, and the lovely Jennifer is going to help me introduce the video. I learned a lot from that. I learned how to really read a teleprompter really well. Um, because basically I would do a top 10 countdown with so much script on it. And I had to do it, what, in two hours. And so, and I had a live audience and a huge team watching me all the time. So it needed to be clean and quick and efficient. And so I think that that was like boot camp for me. So I learned so much from that. And when that show got canceled, I felt devastated. I was like, oh my God, who's going to want me? And I was like, this is so, this was like such a once in a lifetime game. Who is going to want me? MTVK was so crazy because I got to do live streaming shows. And so one of the shows that I got to do was I interviewed this group called BAP. It was in Times Square where the TRL studios used to be. It was one of those 180 moments where you're just like, what is my life that I used to watch this stage, you know, every day on television and now I'm on it and I'm hosting it. And we had this crazy big live audience and it was, it was just one of the craziest times. BAP live in NYC. BAP just killed it on stage with Rain Sound and No Mercy, but we're going to let these guys take a breather for a bit. We've ushered them up here for a special segment of our show while fans will get the chance to ask BAP a few of their own questions, beginning with me. Ha! All right. <laughs> the funny part was, was like, I did this whole crazy live show in Times Square with a crowd outside, with a crowd inside. I mean, people were cheering my name and all this stuff. And then the next morning I woke up to clean up poop because I was a dog walker. And that's the life of an artist, right? Isn't that crazy? But, um, you know, those things really create humility. You know, it makes you humble. You know what I'm saying? And that's something you, you, you need in your life. Anyways, I'd say I did that show for about a year until it got canceled. And then I was back to zero. I started auditioning like for anything. And I would do these small uh, auditions for like smaller agents and managers. And I remember meeting this woman and I performed in monologue for her. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, you're a star. And I was like, thank you so much. And she's like, no, you're my star. She's like, I want to take you under my wing. She's like, let's go to the top. And so she was as hungry as I was. And so meeting her was kind of like fate because she would submit me for so many things. And I just started, you know, auditioning for all these networks. And I'll never forget when VH1 came to my door and she was like, VH1 News is looking for a pop culture correspondent. Uh, here's the audition. Here's the date and the time. Good luck. And I said, okay. And I walked into the VH1 waiting room and there sat this super pretty Latina girl and there was a super pretty white girl. And the white girl was called in and uh, me and this Latina girl was sitting across from each other and I just kept looking at her and just thinking she's so pretty. Like her outfit is so cool. And she was like making jokes and I was like, oh my gosh, she's so funny. And she's like, why would they ever want me? And like this like you know, Asian girl, like, you know, I don't have like, I just felt I was less than her, you know? So she gets, she gets called into the room and I'm sitting in the lounge and I'm like thinking to myself, should I just leave? <laughs> I was like, should I just go? And I texted my brother and I said, I'm freaking out. I was like, I don't think that I can do this audition. I think I'm just going to leave. And he texted me back. He texted me back. He goes, he calls me Nuna, which is a big sister, older sister in Korean. He goes, Nuna, there's a reason why you're there with all those people. You got to that place for a reason because you have what it takes. He's like, don't you dare leave. And I was like, okay. 
I love you. I love you, little brother. You're right. So I get called into the room and there's like four people in there. It's this huge room with a huge green screen. And the audition was probably around 45 minutes. And it was to this day the most intense audition that I had to do ever. They had me doing so many things to see like how good my chops were, you know. So they were like, this person's walking down the red carpet. What are you going to ask her? And uh, Claire Danes is coming. What are you going to ask her? And oh, here's a picture of 10 celebrities wearing crazy stuff. We want you to riff on it. Now here's a teleprompter with a whole script. Now read the script. And it was just one thing after after another and I was just nailing it you know I was just like bam 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 doing it and I walked out of the room and I thought yo I got that in the bag that this is for me okay here we go here we go and then a month passed and then another month passed and I called my agent up I was like what is going on I was like I don't understand and she's like they're just taking a really long time and I was like okay so then I went for another audition and then I went for my final audition and this was when I was meeting the executive producers of VH1's morning show called Big Morning Buzz Live and it was be- being hosted by a man named Nick Lachey now for all you youngins out there Nick Lachey used to be part of a boy band pop group called 98 Degrees and 98 Degrees was a huge part of my life and I was like oh my god it's like whatever your favorite group is growing up and then you get to an adult and somebody tells you that the person that you liked in that group you're going to be working with them and it's like huh what is life and so I met with those executives and the thing about me is I've I always stay true to who I am just because I don't know how to act like anything else I just know like this is me this is what I offer I know that I'm not huge on you know any playing fields but like this is me and I remember walking into you know the meeting with them there was all these execs and they looked super intimidating and I was just like, I'm just gonna be myself there's nothing else that I can be and I made them laugh and all this stuff and about seven days later my manager at the time she goes she calls me she goes Ellie and I was like is it bad news and she's like I know that like you've been auditioning for it was four months at that point she's like I know you've been auditioning for four months for this and I I was like oh okay I didn't get it and I, the tears started coming down my face and she goes I'm so sorry and I was like okay and I would start crying like crying and then she goes just kidding you got it bitch and I was like what why would you wait in what what and I was like, you're choking me. She's like, they want you to start on Monday. And she goes, and they want to put you on the live show every morning with Nick Lachey as the pop culture correspondent on the show as well. And I was like, what are you choking me? And so that was a Friday when I got the call. On Monday, I had a full-time job. It was nuts. When I started VH1, I was just thrown in. I was, they were just like, here it is. We're pushing you right in. And I just fell into the waters. And I was like, all right, I'm going to drown. But I guess I have to figure out how to swim. And being put on live TV, learning how live TV works, learning that you really can't make any mistakes, learning that one time you have to make it perfect, you only have that one chance, really helps me a lot, I think, become a better host. Ellie Lee here in New York City, where we're gearing up for tonight's You Oughta Know live in concert. Throw it over to our uh, our host, Ellie Lee, to take <laughs> us through it. Ellie, the floor is yours. Thanks, Nick. I'm Ellie Lee with the amazing Demi Lovato. Hey, guys, Ellie Lee here with American Authors at Firefly Music Festival in Dover, Delaware. Want more? Get these full videos right now, only on the VH1 app. Hey, guys, Ellie Lee here, and it's time for VH1's All Access with the lowdown on what's hot right now in pop culture. Guys, it's Wednesday, obviously hump day, onesie Wednesday, but that also means it is time for Ellie Lee's Must See. I was interviewing all these comedians and actors and artists and going to all these huge events like the Grammys and MTV uh, Music Awards. And I was interviewing all these artists and I was doing that for digital, but I also knew how to do live television and it's because of VH1. Like my time at VH1, I was there for a year and a half, changed my life. 
it's the first time where I got to really work with people uh, that were, you know, that had years of experience. It was the first time where I had mentors. It was the first time that uh, I just learned so much about the business, about what it's like working for new, uh, for a huge uh, company like VH1. Uh, I understood what it was like to work with other hosts, you know, and I met so many people during that time and I was loving it. You know, I met my boyfriend through work. Like it was just a really great time. But Viacom, the huge company that owns like Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, VH1, MTV, all that stuff, uh, were firing people across the board. And so for around five months, everybody that I knew and I loved at that at VH1 was getting fired and I was shaking my boots. And every month, uh, more people would get fired and more people that I loved were uh, being sent away. And I was just like, oh, my God, is my time coming? I don't know. I don't know. And finally, it was a, a, it was a Thursday and my boss called me in and I sat down and she said, this is it. And I looked at her and I just broke down and I just couldn't stop crying because I felt like I had worked so hard to get to this place you know, to this kind of moment in my life. And I felt like it was being all taken away from me. And I have never felt that lost and dejected and and confused in my entire life. And I went home that day and I looked at my boyfriend. And I said, I don't know what to do anymore. I was like, I don't, who wants me? I don't know. I don't know who, what other network would hire me as a host. Like, I don't even know what the next step is. And that's when my depression really started again. I just got so depressed because I didn't have checks coming in anymore. So I couldn't afford my really expensive apartment. I was living in not even a nice apartment in New York City, but as you know, New York City costs a leg, arm, your heart, your lungs, and your eyes. <laughs> and so I was paying almost 1500 to live in a three-bedroom with my friends, and I couldn't afford it anymore, so I had to move out. I moved into a six-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn with six other girls. My room didn't have heat. It didn't have any windows. Um, there was one bathroom in the entire place, and but it was all I could afford. And I would wake up every morning with this pain in my chest, like almost like a rock in the middle of my body because I felt like a loser. I felt so lost. I felt truly, truly, truly that this was the end of my career because I just didn't know why anyone would want to invest in me. And I went through, a, I went to a really dark place and I had breakdown during that time. And I broke out in acne. Like I had some like pimples and stuff in, in college, I mean, in high school, but I had never had this kind of acne. And I was just, it was really rough. And I just didn't know how to get out of it. And so I think during those times when you're so desperate, when you're so lost, is actually the time where you discover a lot of things. And I discovered that I wasn't as weak as I thought it was. I had to go into survival mode. I had to go into making my, I had to pay, I had to pay bills. I had to eat. I had to feed myself. And so my agents, my manager, email them, be like, guys, I need to work. Let's get this pop in. And things just started happening. I booked my first feature film. It was an independent film called I Can, I Will, I Did, which you can rent on Amazon and iTunes, starring uh, Mike Feist, who's a wonderful actor. He was in Dear Evan Hansen on Broadway. He's in another play now. And it was about my grandfather and uh, Taekwondo and this love story between my character and Mike's character. And it was the first time that I was going to be on a feature and I was shooting for almost three weeks. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Keep on going. <laughs> Okay, hang on. What? <laughs> you can make me fall. You're not going to fall. Well, can you stop recording at least? Yeah. 
You sit all day. Don't you do Don't sit. You do it. Okay, touche, but I don't have a choice like you. And I started acting more. And, you know, that was the dream. I wanted to act more. I had done a lot of hosting, but I wanted to act more. And I so uh, after that film wrapped up, I started booking like smaller independent films. And so I did some short films and things like that. But Susie highly recommended her from the time that she was trying to get pregnant. He gave her all these like holistic pills and vitamins. But you also said that you left that small little town to come into the big city. Look, Gladys, let's be honest. Silas hearts you a boom boom. Everyone here loves you, which is why you're perfect for the new plan. What's the new plan? Um, we're gonna fire some peeps. And honestly, even though I wasn't making a lot of money, it was such a huge growth time for me because I had hit rock bottom and I had started getting up again. Literally, I was getting up on my feet again, even though I wasn't I didn't have consistent paychecks or anything. I was like, oh, my God, the, like the momentum's going. Here we go. And then people style uh, hit on my agents. They're like, we love to have her audition. And so I started auditioning for all these like smaller digital companies and I started booking and I started working consistently. And so I was like, oh, my God, here we go. Here we go and then one day everything that I was a part of I was a part of this people style digital show got canceled then I was part of complexes first we feast a show on that got canceled and so all these little projects that I was doing because it's the digital space and you know n people are just trying to figure out what works on the digital space I was being part of all these things but it was getting taken away from me it was getting canceled I was moving into a new apartment with my boyfriend it was the first apartment we were moving into and I had no job uh, I had no job for two months. I wasn't getting any auditions. I was getting no bookings. I was getting no meetings. And uh, I was home all the all the time. And I was I would look at my boyfriend, he'd get up and go to work. And I would feel I would cry every morning after he left because I felt like a loser. Because I was on this momentum. And I thought that I was going somewhere. And then all of a sudden, it just halted to a stop. And you know, that's the business. <laughs> that really is is the business it's so up and down it's so it when it rains it pours but when it is when it, it is you know when you're starving the desert you're starving in the desert okay it's real I had no income and so I was like what am I going to do what am I going to do what am I going to do and my friend reached out to me she and I had reached out to her because I was like if you hear of any small time gigs please just like whatever it is I don't care what it is like I need to get paid like I need to do something and she was like okay she hits me up and she goes hey I have a part-time job that just got uh, emailed to me let me know if you're interested in it I said okay what is it she said basically you'd be uh congregating like all customer reviews for this for this pet site and you would be writing basically paragraphs of all like customer reviews about like a certain product so if it was like a certain dog food I would get all the customer reviews and get all the things that they said that were similar or that they disagreed on and I would write like summaries and all of them and I would send it to this company every week and that's how I paid my bills like I was just a dog product reviewer and this is after I had done live TV this is after I interviewed everybody this is after I was on MTV Music Awards this is after I did a live show on Jet blue plane like craziness but I was down to I need to make money and so I was writing dog product reviews and cat product reviews and that's how I was making money and it humbled me on a whole different level because I realized that nothing is ever guaranteed ever anything can happen at any time and you can find yourself completely desolate and so all these times were just teaching me how to survive. And that's like really the biggest thing in this whole industry is surviving and hanging on. <laughs>
<laughs> sounds so depressing. But it really is. It's about hanging on. It's about surviving. And so after two months of just complete nothingness, um, iHeartRadio contact my agents and they were like, we're looking for a new host. And I was like, oh my God. And uh, my boss now had liked me when she met me a few months back and she called me in and I started my gig with iHeartRadio. And now I had a new job. I had, I felt like I, I just felt renewed again because it was just a such, it was such a hard lesson to learn, but it was such a, a necessary lesson to learn because no matter what happens to you in this industry, you're never going to feel complete, you know, like you're never going to get all the answers. You're never going to get all the things that you want. What it's going to teach you is how to uh, grow as a human, how to survive the really dark times and how to appreciate the really good times. I'm still with iHeart. I'm still their digital host. And since then, I've done a lot of things. You know, I've, I freelance for E! News. You know, I've been on the show. And Our guest correspondent, Ellie Lee, got John to open up about that. And she couldn't help going full fangirl on the red carpet. And I know all about that. I've done that once or twice. Ellie is killing me right, right now. I love when she asks questions and, like, looks <laughs> oh, away. I can't. Yeah. She's like, I can't. Are we getting a secret? <laughs> oh, my God. Good job, Ellie Lee. I, I love everybody in E! News. And I've, uh, you know, done stuff with Nickelodeon. I, you know, I was on the Steve Harvey show. I was on the Wendy Williams show as a correspondent. Please welcome to our show for the first time, entertainment journalist, Ellie Lee. You know, I've done a lot of amazing things and I'm still auditioning. I have new representation for acting, so I'm going out and I'm really trying to book and focus on all the things that I want to do. And let me tell you something. I have so much more that I want to achieve. I have so much more than I want to do. There's so many dreams that I have in my head. But I'll say this. When I look back on like what? the last eight, nine years of my life, I realized that there were so many lessons that I had to learn. There were so many things that I had to get to, to, had to get through to come out the other end of it. And one of the biggest things that I learned is, of course, being grateful, of course, being humble, but knowing that your career is in your life. I think that for so long that I was, um, my happiness would come from my work because it made me feel like I was worthy. And I think that one of the biggest things that I learned is, you know, work doesn't define how much you're worth or how good you are. What defines you is all the lessons that you learned, all the things that you, you had to get through, you know, shitty or not, to come out at the end to become the person that you are to present to the world. I don't know if that makes sense, but I really survived a lot of times and I really grew as a human and I started uh, seeing my skill and I started honing my skills in and I started preparing for uh, the low times, but I, I also started preparing for the high times and really just being on my A game every time I had a job, but also uh, being on my A game when I didn't have a job because I needed to serve. I need to survive. And that's really what it comes down to. Survival is the key. So I think for everybody out there, that has dreams and aspirations of wanting to be in this industry, whether it's to be a TV host or an actor. Uh, for some of you out there, it can come so easily. It can happen within a day. Look at Stephen Young. He wasn't grinding for that hard when he got The Walking Dead. Um, for other people, it will take years and years and years. I met a waiter, uh, a bartender the other day in New York City, and he told me he's been bartending for 17, year 17 years. And I said, how long have you been acting? He says 17 years. And he gave me a look like, dude, this has been going on for a while. But it was his... Um, 
persistence, it's his ambition, it's his love and his passion for the craft that just keeps him going. And, you know, this industry is all about how long can you hang you know, hang on? How hard are you going to work? You know, what are you going to do that's going to, because there are so many people that are going to be better than you in this industry. I meet so many people that are so talented on a daily basis. But what you have to know is that what you bring to the table and what you're going to bring to the table is different than anybody else. And the biggest thing that I learned is you need to just be true to yourself because there is nobody like you. And I know that sounds really corny, but I got to where I got to. I booked all the things that I've booked because I was true to myself. And I think that will resonate and that will uh, uh, stay with people far longer than like your skill. It's really about who you are as a person, you know, and everything that you've gone through and how it's formulated you to become the human that you are today at this very moment. And so for everybody out there that wants to do what I do, it's a hard, hard decision. And I think you need to really think about it. If there are other things that you want to do, listen, if I want to be a veterinary, if I want to be a vet, (laughs) More than I want to be an actor, I would have been a vet, okay? This is not an industry for the weak. It's not an industry for uh, 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 people who um, have very large expectations uh, and think that if it doesn't happen within a year or a month that they're going to quit. Like This is for people who have a love for this who really believe that this is going to fulfill them, like this work is going to fulfill them in their career life, then go with it. But if not, go choose that other other else thing that you want to do. But if this is what you want to do, then all you need is tenacity. All you need is a good work ethic. You need a, a thick ass skin. Okay, just some thick, thick ass skin. Because there's so many things that are going to come <laughs> into play. Okay, when I when I first started this whole thing, I didn't think about like trolls. I didn't think about so many people criticizing you. I didn't think about how many people would give me their opinions on like what I should wear, how I should sound, how I should speak, how I should, you know, make my personality like this, how I should say this sentence like this or how I should look like this. There are so many people that are going to tell you that you cannot do it. Okay, there's so many people in my life who have told me don't do this. You're not going to make it there. It's not going to happen for you. If I listen to those people, you, you, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I mean, who knows where I would be? I'd probably be working. I'd probably be working in my dad's retail store, like, and, and telling him that I'll take, oh, take it over for the family. You know, I would just be living an unhappy, unfulfilled life, but I'm a dream catcher and I got goals. And I have a vision and I have so many things that I want to achieve. And so I hope that my story inspired you. I hope that it makes you feel like you're capable of doing whatever the F you want because you can. Okay, guys, this podcast is, you know, my new venture. It's my new uh my new project and I'm going to pour my heart and my soul into it. And every episode, it's going to be someone different. It's going to be someone in the entertainment industry and you're going to get to learn about their stories, how hard it took to uh, get to where they are now. And these are people that are going to inspire you. So please subscribe, please rate, please review. Oh my gosh, if you guys rate and review and you subscribe, do you understand that you will become my best friend immediately? And who doesn't want to be my best friend immediately? (laughs) No, you don't want. Okay, great. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of When I Grow Up. Uh, I love you guys so much. So, so much. Please be kind to others, to the earth, and to animals. And think about your choices before you make them. Till next episode, I will see you guys then. Bye-bye.
Anadine, Anadine. 